It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. One, gay porn, film by a Senate aide in the committee chambers of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Two, Satan in the state capital of Iowa. Three, happy holidays from Fox and Friends. It's the Will Cain Podcast on Fox News Podcast. What's up and welcome to Monday. Welcome to the final week before Christmas, the countdown. As always, I hope you will download, rate, and review this podcast wherever you get your audio entertainment at Apple, Spotify, or at Fox News Podcast. You can watch the Will Came Podcast on Rumble or on YouTube. Leave a comment or a five-star review. Email in at willcamepodcast at fox.com. It is the countdown to Christmas. And I think at some point we together have to address Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve is a beating. I love Christmas Eve, but it's also a beating. You know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about Christmas Eve. It's a beautiful night full of tradition, and it is a night for family. You get together, you have a nice dinner, you have a few cocktails, you go to a candlelight church service. It's the beginning of a vacation. Odds are you probably worked until December 21st or 22nd or 23rd, but something about the 24th feels like the beginning of a holiday. And yet, as your body and your mind and your spirit are winding down for celebration, and as part of celebration, you think or you have some expectation of relaxation, then comes the work. Then comes the beating of Christmas Eve. Because after you've had your cocktails and after you've had your nice dinner, perhaps a beef wellington, perhaps made from Omaha steaks, after you've gone to your candlelight service, after you've partaken in all of your traditions, maybe you read Twas the Night Before Christmas, you put the kids into bed, and you are starting to get tired. Then you and your wife have to look at one another, or you and your husband have to realize, I have to build all this junk. It's already probably 10 o'clock at night, and you are maybe already not just a little tired, but maybe you're a little buzzed. Nothing inside of you, not this entitlement of relaxation, not the expectation of holiday and enjoyment, not the cocktail, has said to you, now, let's get down to the work. You start wrapping too many last-minute gifts, and then you go get the tool set. The tool set that, you know, you never use. It's that little one that you crack open and it's got a hammer and a, you know, a screwdriver. And next thing you know, you're in your bedroom or sprawled out in the living room, building cheap plastic into some type of monstrosity. Maybe it's a soccer goal. Maybe it's a rebounder. Maybe it's a little kid's kitchen set. Whatever it may be. And you're wholly unqualified, and don't want to be doing it. And the truth is, most of the time, you decide to maybe pour yourself one more cocktail and think she'll pick up the slack. 
because she usually does. And you know that the mother or the wife ends up doing not all of the work because you're awake and you're supervising, but doing most of the work. We got to solve for Christmas Eve. And we've tried. You know, we've tried. Let's get ahead of this. Let's, let's not let it pile up to Christmas Eve. But you never do. You never do. No, there's always more wrapping. There's always more building. And then you get to bed at midnight, maybe one. But that doesn't mean you get to sleep in. That doesn't mean seven hours, eight hours of sleep is coming. Oh, no, not for you. Not on this holiday. They're up. I don't care if they're teenagers or they're toddlers. They're up. Crack a dawn. And we all have said our different things. You can't come out of your room. You can't go downstairs until 8 a.m. Whatever. We've tried it all. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't add up to eight hours, not seven hours. It doesn't hardly add up to six hours. And by the way, you shouldn't have had that last cocktail. So before you know it, now it's Christmas morning and your hangover and your fatigue is battling with your joy and your holiday spirit. But you pull it together. You do. You pour a cup of coffee. You share in the enjoyment and excitement. Maybe this is an occasion where you wear a robe. I actually think this is a perfect occasion for a robe. And next thing you know, you're all in. And you want to pace it. You don't want these kids ripping through these presents with a sense of entitlement. It's a gluttony that's grotesque. And so they're ripping through them and you got to slow it down. So then you go, do we pass them out one at a time? How long do we drag this out? My personal feeling is two hours is a nice sweet spot. Not too short, not too gluttonous, not too ripping one package open after another without even seeing what was inside the first package, and not too slow to drag this thing out. And now it's 10 a.m. And you're walking around the whole time, you know, with your trash bag, stuffing the disposed wrapping paper scattered about your living room into the big trash bag because it's hard to relax in the middle of a dumpster. And now it's in decent shape. And you're tired, finally. And you're like, should we watch a movie? And a movie feels weird. You know what else feels weird on Christmas Day? The NBA. Feels weird. Feels weird on Christmas Day. So what do you do? I don't know. Because you're pretending. It doesn't matter what you do. You're pretending. Because then you sit on the couch, and you go through your pretensions, and you fall asleep. Finally. Finally. And you have now recovered from the roughly... I would say 12 to 15 hour beating that is Christmas Eve. But it's joyous. It's wonderful. Don't get me wrong. We all love it. But we all need to batten down the hatches. We need to get some rest this week in this final week before Christmas. We need to rest up, get our wits about us. If we can, plan ahead, but we're not going to plan ahead and do our best to survive Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Merry Christmas. Story number one. Gay porn. Filmed by a Senate aide in the committee room, in the chambers for the Senate Judiciary Committee. On Friday, the Daily Caller, much to their credit, broke the news and leaked the video and photos of two men who filmed themselves having sex in a Senate hearing room. These videos and photos were posted into a chat for gay men in politics. I want to be clear without being too gratuitous. I want to tell you the facts 
without the grotesque, I don't know. They are clearly butt naked. Well, there's something. One of the dudes has something around his waist. I don't know. And he's up on all fours on the desk. I, I uh, you, you call it a dais, I believe. He's up on that. Reportedly, he's in the area of Senator Amy Klobuchar's normal seating position. He is having his picture taken from behind on all fours, looking back at the camera. And then there's an accompanying video from what some who would perhaps, not me, but others who would be familiar with pornography would call a POV shot, point of view. The second person, who we have no name with, we, no name yet, is filming this sex from behind with this other guy. Who is this other guy? Well, reports are it's allegedly an aide to Democrat Senator Ben Cardin. He has since been fired. This aide, Ben Cardin's office offered no comment. And interestingly, the one identifiable person in this video, young man, has claimed that he is the victim. As long as he remains alleged, I'm going to neglect to give you his full name. I'm not even sure how important it is to what actually matters within the context of this story. But here's what he posted, I believe, on LinkedIn. He said, this has been a difficult time for me, okay, as I have been attacked for who I love to pursue a political agenda. You got that? He's been attacked for who he loves. While some, Who do you love, by the way? Who is the second man? In the video, this is this person who's alleged to be the featured star in this pornography is an aide to Senator Ben Cardin. He goes on, while some of my actions in the past have shown poor judgment, I love my job and would never disrespect my workplace. Oh, no, no, never, never by having sex in a committee room. He goes on, any attempts to characterize my actions otherwise are fabricated, and I will be exploring what legal options are available to me in these matters. Oh, what's fabricated? The video that we all saw? Of you taking it in the Senate Judiciary Committee room? That's fabricated? And you will be exploring legal matters. Here's what I suggest you do. You call up that attorney. Call up that attorney and ask him, if you're going to go to jail. Fox News contributor, professor of law, Jonathan Turley, who was a guest on Friday's episode of the Will Cain podcast, has said this could be a violation of the law. Certainly, if any of these videos were used on a site where you have gotten money, so it's commerce, I don't know, OnlyFans, I don't know where it ended up. Then you've used official use buildings for personal benefit and commerce. What more? How about just indecent exposure? I mean, this is indecent. And no one is attacking this man for who he loves in order to pursue a political agenda. The attacks are regarding where you love. And yes, it's quite clear you've shown poor judgment. 
but it's also clear you've disrespected your workplace. It's interesting that he thought to run out that card. He's claiming homophobia. Anybody that would come after him for this incident is engaging in homophobia, is a bigot. And obviously that's absurd on its face. But what's interesting is in his mind, he had a thought that might work. And hey, I don't know that he's wrong. Run out the victim card, run out the bigotry card, and it can paper over any manner of sin, including filming gay pornography in a Senate judiciary hearing. Perhaps he might as well give it a shot. History is on recent history is on his side. I think it's revealing and fascinating that he thought that might just work. Also over the weekend, Donald Trump gave a speech uh, in New Hampshire, and he talked about illegal immigration and the problems with it and the way it's burdening all of our institutions. And he used a phrase. He said, it poisons the blood of our country. Now, every other channel, I imagine, CNN, New York Times, MSNBC, Washington Post, this is going to be dominating their news coverage. Absolutely. Uh, They're going to talk about connections to fascism. In fact, the Biden-Harris administration already put out a tweet making connections to Hitler and others with this phrase. But this is not the first time that words, roughly three words, three to four words, a phrase has been used to drive a news cycle into the reality television hyperbolic version of politics in the country. Remember very fine people, which was a falsehood as well. Rip from context. Telling the Proud Boys, stand stand back and stand by. And now using the phrase, poison our blood. Every step of the way, we're sold the same melodrama. That we're on the verge of a fascist dictatorship, a white ethno-nationalist state, based upon ripping three words from Donald Trump. These words are the most important thing to our country. These words represent fascism. These words represent not just the destruction of our democracy, but as we've heard for so long, the the destruction of our norms. These words are all we should think about, all we should talk about, and all we should pay attention to. But actions? Oh, no, no. Actions. Actions, not important. Oh, this thing that happened in the Senate. Come on. It's a bunch of will. It's a bunch of Senate aides. They're a bunch of noob- nobodies. And yeah, it was bad judgment, but it's, it's really, come on. It's, it's not the man running for president threatening xenophobic actions about the future of our country. Oh, really? Let's just put it into context. This is fascinating. Robbie Starbuck on Twitter put this together. Um, Dr. Jill Biden, if you'll remember, during the 2020 election, tweeted the following. She said, decency is on the ballot. Okay. Since that time, since she tweeted, decency is on the ballot. And of course, that's the whole point of all of this when we focus on Donald Trump, right? In three words. Oh, so indecent. Since that time, we have had a gay sex tape filmed in the committee hearing chambers of the United States Senate. Let's just repeat that. A gay sex tape filmed and distributed from the desks in a committee hearing room for the United States Senate. That should be enough. I should be done to mock any pretense of a return to norms or decency. 
but I'm just getting started. Biden, during Pride Month, invited activists onto the White House lawn, one of whom was a trans activist who took down his dress and showed his fake breasts jiggling them on the White House lawn. Third, a male Joe Biden appointee, can't remember his exact office, remember this, stole women's clothes from airports. He stole luggage from airports. Not a talk about cultural appropriation. A lot of it was like African garb and wore them around. He was a thief stealing luggage at airports and wearing all of this around. He was also, by the way, trans. Fourth, cocaine. <laughs> cocaine was found at the White House. And still to this day, we just can't figure out who brought cocaine to the White House. Cocaine found in the White House. Fifth, Hunter Biden has had sex tapes go public. And more information on his sexual relationship with his dead brother's wife went public. Multiple photos, multiple videos of him with I don't know how many prostitutes because of the Senate um, investigations or, the, or rather the House investigations to Hunter Biden. We know that it is spent. I believe it is $900,000 over a three to four year span on his sex life. Hookers, strip bars, pornography, whatever. $900,000. We've had drag shows on military bases. The Navy's hired drag queens to recruit more drag queens to join the military. We have taxpayer funded sex changes. Biden defending child sex changes. Biden inviting and celebrating and interview, being interviewed by Dylan Mulvaney, famed trans activist. And oh, by the way, Joe Biden caught in a corruption scandal after his son Hunter Biden has been revealed to have been paid millions by foreign sources for no good reason. And Joe was involved despite telling voters he never was. Decency is back on the ballot. This is not nothing about a bunch of Senate aides running muck. Oh, by the way, we still need to figure out who is the second person in this video. This isn't the, the, the lack of decency and the inappropriateness is the point of this video. This is not about who you love. In the video, by the way, whoever's taken the video pans across the Senate Judiciary Committee and focuses for a moment on the seal of the United States Senate before panning back down to the bare butt and back of the person he's having sex with. This is insanity. What is going on? Wake up. We're going to freak out over and over again about the reality show of words and make up stories when this cocaine, gay pornography, drag queens throughout the military, child trans surgeries, this is decency back on the ballot? This is insanity. This is racing towards Gomorrah. We'll be right back with more of the Will Cain Podcast. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. I'm Benjamin Hall, Fox News correspondent and New York Times bestselling author. Join me for my brand new podcast, Searching for Heroes. Make sure you subscribe to this series wherever you download podcasts and leave a rating and review. Story number two. 
Satan in the state capital of Iowa. Late last week, a story came out that the Satanic Temple of Iowa had petitioned the state of Iowa to put a display up inside the Iowa State Capitol. The display was of a satanic idol that um, had, I'm trying to remember the name of this, this demon, Baphomet, Baphomet who's a goat head. It was like a gilded, like bedazzled goat head wrapped in a red robe and then a table full of candles. The Satanic Temple of Iowa wanted to advocate for more abortion or freedom to abortion and Satanic clubs after school. State of Iowa says because of the Freedom of Religion Clause, the First Amendment of the United States Constitution, no state religion. So if you open up the public spaces to one religion, Christianity during Christmas, you got to be able to open it up to everybody. If they go through the proper petitioning process, they too get to put something in the state capitol. It's a little bit jarring, I think, for all of us to see a satanic idol in the state capitol. This is the country that still has as its motto, in God we trust. This is a country whose founding documents, the Declaration of Independence, the United States Constitution, references God. And here we have a temple, a celebration of the Antichrist the enemy of God. Well, a former congressional candidate from Mississippi, Michael Cassidy, has been arrested because he has been charged with vandalizing the Satanic Temple of Iowa's display depicting the pagan idol Baphomet at the Iowa State Capitol. He says he saw this blasphemous statue and was outraged. This quote from Cassidy, my conscience is held captive to the word of God, not to bureaucratic decree. He's of Lauderdale, Mississippi. And so I acted, he told the conservative website, The Sentinel. 35 years old, he's been charged with a fourth degree criminal mischief charge that carries with it potential for one year in prison and a $2,500 fine. Since that time, there have been funds raised. To help the defense of Michael Cassidy, the last I heard, I think he was raised over $40,000, including a big contribution from presidential candidate Ron DeSantis. This article goes on to say from the Des Moines Register, the installation permitted under state rules allowing religious displays in the building during the holidays has been debated and criticized by Iowa and national politicians. Presidential hopeful Ron DeSantis joined a chorus of Republicans calling for its removal. Others in the GOP said, though, that is offensive. It is protected form of free speech. We actually got into this conversation a little bit on Fox and Friends this week, and I think some of it occurred on air, some of it off air. And while many of us often have lockstep a- agreement, not lockstep, but just large agreement, this was a place where my opinion was a little bit different than that of, say, my friend Pete Hegseth. Hegseth and me is like, this, this is absurd. The founders would have never envisioned something like this when they had freedom of religion and freedom of speech clauses and enshrined in the First Amendment. I'm not so sure. I think the founding fathers clearly intended there to be a separation of church and state and have no official state religion. And as such, I don't think they wanted the government to be in the business of picking and choosing winners and losers or who is who is to be allowed access to public spaces and who is to be denied. I do think, and as many have pointed out, you can't now all of a sudden say, well, the First Amendment doesn't apply. 
But that's not the end. Pete disagrees. But that's not the end of the story for me. You see, one of the founding things the founding fathers certainly believed, George Washington believed this, was that you cannot have a country based upon freedoms, freedoms guaranteed by the government that rests upon a culture and a society that is completely untethered from morals and values. Morals and values largely consecrated, enshrined, laid the foundation by religion, by God. The point is, without a virtuous people, freedom itself would metastasize into all kinds of ill-advised behavior. And so lurking under the background of freedom, lurking under the background of the Constitution of the United States, of government, is a culture, is a foundation of morals and values and a people. And justice, in my estimation, is not always sought nor enforced through the government, especially a government who is forced, rightfully so, through the Constitution to defend this type of freedom. No, but instead, we need to have a culture that enforces good values. You know, my vision of the future is less the Taliban, you know, less of America with, you know, an official state religion. It's more the wild, wild west. Oh, somebody knocked down your satanic temple, your satanic shrine inside the Iowa State Capitol? Huh. That's a shame. Sometimes justice is best served by taking it into the hands of private citizens. By the just. By man. Sometimes some things need to be handled outside the law. I don't think it'd be very hard for you to envision situations where justice is handled and justice isn't always just the formality of government. Justice rests in the hands of our own particular judgment and our culture and our ability to tolerate or not tolerate certain behaviors. I don't know. I look at this story and I think it turned out maybe just the way it should. A government that says, you know, we can't stop you. We're here to protect freedom. A citizen that says, we won't tolerate a religion that at its best celebrates or advocates for hedonism, humanism, indulgences of man at its worst, all forms of evil, the Antichrist against moral values. Maybe sometimes that just needs to be handled by men like Michael Cassidy. And maybe then in turn, a culture, a people like us need to be there to have the back of a man like Michael Cassidy. We don't need the Taliban. Maybe we just need a little more wild, wild west. We're going to step aside here for a moment. Stay tuned. Story number three. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas from Fox and Friends. You know, a few weeks ago, I told you that I'm in this debate. I've got my um, son who's on the verge of turning 16, and I don't just want him to be entitled, and I don't just want to get him a car, but I want to figure out what's the right way. And I got a lot of emails from you guys with creative ideas. I asked you for creative ideas on how I could structure something that helps him understand the value of a dollar, that he doesn't get whatever he wants, that he needs to learn how to budget, that he needs to follow incentives. They need to take care of something. And I got a lot of great emails from you guys. And, and they're long because you guys had um, 
amazing ideas. I mean, I've got some Tom Shannon in, in Madison, Wisconsin, uh, Matt McCreelis, uh talking to me about what they did with their five children and a Toyota Tundra. I've got Robin Garrett in Denison, Texas, talking about the options that they gave their children um, and how they could split a car. You guys gave me like intricate Danny, Danny Tevens, um, incredible ideas. Richard from West Haven, Connecticut. Here's what I would say was the through line because your ideas were all over the map. Seriously, mostly all over the map. But here was the through line on your ideas. Practically, the one thing they seemed to all have in common was develop a budget and develop a spreadsheet and make him participate in budgeting and understanding the cost of something and controlling those costs. That was the main through line. The second, although you guys didn't say it, what I picked up on was you approached this with a level of intention. That takes me to Saturday. Saturday, um, I had said to Hegseth, my Fox and Friends co-host a few weeks ago, hey man, I keep getting these things fed to me on Instagram, like best burger in New York and best croissant in New York. And I was like, let's let's go get a beer. Let's pub crawl across like the West Village or something. And I want to try the best burger in New York. I st- not to jump the story, but I still do. And I want to try this. I want to try that. We'll get a beer and we'll go to the next thing, get some food. And, and you know, I had this grand vision. It didn't work out for a variety of reasons. But it did work out that we got together. We met in the worst part of New York, Midtown, and I let him know about it. But I wanted to go to Midtown for a specific reason because I needed to buy some street merchandise for Christmas. But Midtown, honestly, at Christmas time is like Calcutta. I mean, it is shoulder to shoulder, can't walk around. It's great. It's very Christmassy, but it's, it's, it's a, sh- I mean, people with blankets, guys from Africa selling fake, you know, Rolexes and Gucci bags. People can't walk. It's crazy. It's crazy. We found a bar and we were joined by our third co-host, Rachel Campos Duffy, who actually ended up watching some football. We stayed at one place. We didn't pub crawl around and we didn't get the best burger on the planet. I had a bad Irish breakfast. Like Irish breakfast, by the way. All the different sausages, eggs, a tomato. Love it. Um, a little toast over medium eggs. Uh, but Rachel, Hag Seth wanted to watch the Vikings play against the Bengals. The Vikings were seven and six. They're now seven and seven. They lost. And as it turns out, what's really revealing, not just for Rachel Campos, but for me, he takes the Vikings very seriously. And he he was in tame flare mode that day. He only had on a purple wristband with the Vikings logo and a hat. And I have told him about doubling up on your logos. But honestly, normally he quadruples up. I think he's got some purple Jordans he wears. I'm sure he wears a purple shirt, a jersey. Oh, yeah, he wears a jersey. So he's like almost like a Vikings mascot for most game days. This day, he only had two. But he's whooping and hollering and yelling. The whole bar's like, why does this guy care so much about Nick Mullins playing quarterback? And we're watching the Vikings and we're talking. and. We're talking about Rachel, and she's telling us about Catholicism and Opus Day, and it's not what you think with Dan Brown, you know. And Pete and I are talking about, you know, our kids and different things we're thinking about and raising boys. And we have a great time. Rachel drank a one in a 
third, one and a quarter Cuba Libres. Pete and I held up our end of the bargain. And we talked about big, serious things under the world. We talked about, you know, things that guys talk about to the point where Rachel's like, whoa, somebody made a crude comment. What? Who knows? This is what you guys talk about when I'm not around? Yeah. Welcome to the boys club today. But the long and short is, I've never had two co-hosts where I've loved hanging out with them after doing four hours of television with them to that extent. And it's awesome. And the conversation is deep and stupid and fun and then intellectual. But in talking that day and thinking about all these different things that it's not my position to share and what we're all debating in our personal lives, there's rarely, we do talk work a little bit. Pete used this word over and over. And he's complimented me on this in the past. And I've never really thought about it. But he's like, you're just so intentional. And he goes, and I try to be very intentional. And and a buddy of mine uses that word a lot as well. And how you raise, I don't think, which I guess means you think about it. You think about it. And you try to think about doing the right thing or arriving at the right position. And that's what I thought about when I got all of your feedback on what to do in buying your kid or setting a budget or figuring out how to get your kid his first car. There's no right answer. I mean, I read all of your stuff and I was waiting for like the one that was like, aha, click. And I don't think anyone's going to perfectly fit my situation. I'm still bouncing around getting close to what I think I want to do. Because I think I want to incentivize him to make, maybe I'll give you X amount of cash and you can buy a car or you can have maybe your mom's old car and do something else with the cash. I don't know, I'm getting there. But what I got to thinking about that day, sitting at the bar with my co-hosts, reading your emails, is the power of intention. We're not guaranteed to come out with the right answer. We're just not. But if we end up with the right answer without intentionality, we really just got lucky. You know, one of my favorite sayings a buddy of mine uses is, you can run through a dynamite factory with a lit match and survive, but you're still an idiot. So maybe the goal should be not to run through dynamite factories with lit matches. Do our best. Think through these things. We're not guaranteed to do it right. Parenting is about making mistakes. Life is about making mistakes. And I think it's avoiding being fearful of those failures, of the fallout from those mistakes. Be intentional about the outcomes. Do our best. Think about it. Have a goal. Have a target. And then let her rip. I don't know. Just reading through your emails, that's what came through to me. You were also intentional in your programs and what you want to do with your kids. In the end, I thought, well, that's the answer. That's what I got to do. I do what Hegseth said. I got to do what you guys did. Just got to be intentional. And with that, I think I can speak for Rachel Campos Stuffy. I know I can speak for Pete Hegseth. I think I can speak for James Laverty and Patrick Hatton and all of us here at the Will Kane Podcast when I tell you as we get down. I'm not going anywhere. We got more podcasts. When I tell you, happy holidays. Merry Christmas. I'll see you again next time. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcast and Amazon Prime members. You can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow Podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts.